Hello and welcome to the Help My Unbelief podcast, the number one Christian podcast designed for the unbeliever. So I didn't want to embarrass you. I didn't want to embarrass you like on the whole audience, but I but but I'm going to because I thought it was really funny that you said this, so I'm going to say it again. But I haven't heard this since the 90s, but Larry just asked us how his visor looked. That's because I wasn't born in the 90s. Well, you were born in like the what, the 40s? So it's, it's new to you, but it's old to me. Yeah. Well, let's just get the people to comment <clears throat> in the comments below about Larry's visor. Yeah. Yeah. I seriously like... <laughs> Visors. I If there's anybody that's listening to this podcast that's heard bef- like after since the 90s, how does my visor look? Please comment down below. And I, <laughs> I believe the comment section is going to be barren, my friend. I may be the only person wearing visors okay. anymore. Well, it's very flamboyant and I wouldn't have it any other way than for you to be wearing your visor in a wonderful way. So and there you go. I wear visors because my beautiful wife likes visors. Does she really? She really does. I don't think she's lying to you. I had one before I met her. I've got 40 of them now. How much would it take for me to have you to frost your tips of your hair? Excuse me? Frost your tips. Like have frosted tips that poke out above it. Like You know what? That might make him look younger. What does that mean? Flash my tips. No, not flash your tips. Frost your tips. (laughs) Frost. Frost your tips. That's why it wasn't coming across. I didn't understand what you meant. Yes. Frost my tips. No, not happening. Okay. Never well, seen, I've never dyed my hair, never curled my hair, none of that. What if, what well, if we if have we got a, a donation of a thousand dollars That's what today, I was saying. <laughs> if we got a donation of anybody out there to pay us a thousand, we will, for, we will frost Larry's tips. Would you do it for a thousand? Podcast. Wow. That'd be so awesome. Wow. Dude. I'm almost tempted to pay that thousand. <laughs> when I was, a, when I was a teenager, when I was a teenager, I had um, a perm and I had like a little Afro going on and I wanted to see what it was like to have my um, tips frosted in it. Well, what happened was the dye seeped through the holes in the cap Ooh. and it turned my hair orange, dude. And I left it. That's brave. Dude. I thought I was the coolest looking son of a gun on the planet too. I wasn't. Well, actually. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I just got chewed out by the producer, by the way. There you go. Yeah. Hey, you give them power over you. Don't hire your wife as a producer. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's the best one we have. I know. I know. So I want to introduce our guest today. His name's Bo. Um, we're so excited. So the idea, which Larry brought this to me. Um, the idea was we're having all these atheists and, and, and agnostics come on the show, which I'm extremely grateful for that. And I've been having a blast with that so far. And we're, we're very grateful for that. But Bo is a former atheist. Um, he even said he had some time reading the Satanic Bible. That's all I know about it so far. But he is now a, um, how do you say, blood-bought Christian um, and he has devoted his ways to God. And we, we just wanted to show you guys some success stories because that's all we're showing you is people that don't believe and then nobody that has converted. And and it could probably get demoralizing. It, I, it, it gets demoralizing for me. Like I'm in all these atheists and agnostic groups constantly talking to atheists and agnostic, and there's just no getting through to them. There's just none. And so for me to be able to talk to a guy that has been down that road and has changed his life towards Christianity. It's, it's quite, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. So, and we're going to do this. 
we're, we're going to shoot for once a month where we're going to interview um, somebody and hopefully we'll have Bo back on in the future as well. What we would consider success stories. Yeah, what we would consider success. Well, to me, it is a success story because it he is, has converted definitely. his um, life to Christianity. I mean, and he just gave me some tips um, about, um, you know, following God and stuff like that because he's been doing it longer than me, you know. So, like, he's given me um, some tips that I could I could help in my business and stuff and some things that are worrying me in my personal life. He gave me some tips now. So, um, I'm grateful for you coming on, Bo. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's a, it's my honor and my pleasure to be here. Yeah, you're gonna. He's gonna. Yeah, have to I gotta get up on the mic. I'm sorry. Me <laughs> <laughs> and microphones. Here we go. You ever done anything like this? Um, like I told you before, I'm a retired professional musician. Oh, I, really? Yes. Uh, I played in in and out of studios since I was 14 years old. What'd um, you play? I played drums. Uh, I've been playing drums since I was five, and I part of. Me coming back to God, I, I went to playing Christian music, um, got a few hits, you know, with doing some some really neat stuff in the Christian in the Christian music world scene, and then you know God just like a faucet just turned it off. Really, um, uh, was that before or after you kind of went on went went on your own way? Well, to dive into my story a little bit, at thirteen years old, I had a chance to go on a youth ski trip. Okay. With my church. And, it was, and I worked all summer long with my parents and had the opportunity to go on the ski trip. And once um, a girl in the youth group found out I was going, she went to her dad in the church, and he was on the board, and they canceled the ski trip. And Oh, no. Yeah. So I'm like, well, why did y'all cancel the ski trip? And she immediately stood up in the middle of the youth room and said, because you were going. And I said, this is, in my mind, what I said in my mind is like, this is what Christianity is to me. Yeah. So this is like a all-exclusive club, and, you know, just yeah. because I'm going, you're canceling the trip. That's a very familiar story, isn't it? That's that's the narrative that we've gotten from just about everybody. Is pe- I guess you'd call it church hurt. So, yeah, every, everybody's been... Like everybody's been church hurt before, and that's where everybody keeps like getting disconnected. But the so you you started to, you were thirteen. You started to veer away from the church because um, you're like, well, if this is what Christianity is all about, then yeah. My example of a Christian was like, you know, if this is what this is all about, I don't want to be a part of it. Exactly. Um, yeah. Judgmental. Well, I made a judgment um, based on a situation I was in. And the youth pastor at that time kept reaching out to me, kept reaching out to me and wanted me to come back. I'm like, you know what? And I finally got mad at him. I said, look, I don't want to be a part of your hypocritical group. I really don't. You know, you can take you and your hypocrites and go away. Yeah. Because I was um, very driven as a young man. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be my way or the highway. Yeah. And I was that way because – my father was an alcoholic. Um, I went from being my dad's best buddy from the time I can remember till about uh, seven or eight years old, and then my dad's alcoholism got combined with prescription drug use. Yeah. Um, mm. So my dad could flip on me on a dime. I mean, he could be my best friend, and then he could be just the most evil son of a gun I've ever met. So it's probably um, – because being a parent, consistency is huge. So, like, you didn't know what you were walking into day to day. I didn't know what dad I was going to get, and my yeah. mom, my mom, 
she put up with everything she put up with and she walked out um her life her is the best she could but you know and talking with my mom now back then she was struggling with her faith yeah so she was you know she was in the midst of a war on herself about you know her commitment to my father and her commitment to god so she was in a struggle during that period and i had no idea until just a couple of years ago that she was even struggling with that um so to to really look at that and and and, and look back and over my life in the context you know it puts a lot of things in perspective do you have kids by the way oh i've got four that what you're saying right now it shows you how important the role of a man is inside yes. of a Christian. Oh, oh. yes. It's, it's, it's crucial. Huge. It's hugest huge. part, man. Um, fathers get a bad rap. Yeah. Um, some of them deserve it. Some of them don't. True. Um, but <clears throat> the biggest thing for me is, is being a dad. I want to be a better father than what I had growing up. That was my goal when I, when I learned I was going to be a father. Um, because I was told for years I wasn't uh, going to have kids. And... Wow, um, really? Yeah, I had uh, a real bad hernia when I was in my early twenties, and <laughs> hey, we're, it, the, we're it, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I struggled with that hernia. I walked around with that hernia for about three years. It grew from the size of a golf ball to about the size of a coconut. Good boy. So it really impacted my reproductive system. And the doctor says, "You know what? We're going to get this hernia fixed, and I doubt if you'll have kids." Wow. So, you know, being a musician and being in that, she's, she's needing you. Oh, sorry. Oh, you got in trouble again. Okay. I keep getting, I'm sorry. I'm yep. sorry. Don't but, hurt me. But being, being uh, a musician like I was and being put in situations where I could, I had access to drugs. I had access to sex. I had access to anything I wanted. And it was just a matter of what I wanted to pay for it. Whether I wanted to, and when I mean pay for it, I'm not talking about monetary. I'm talking about what part of me I wanted to give up. Yeah. Um, you do too, whenever you do stuff like that, you exactly. know. So how old were you when you were doing them? You were in your early 20s. By the mm -hmm. way, I lost a testicle due to a hernia. Okay. So, so like you, I, yeah. You, you understand what the strangulation of the blood flow to yes. the testicle does. Okay. So yep. I mean, yeah. I not lost. Not to get too, too technical, but that's what it yeah. is. But we we weren't sure because my, my the way I like to describe it is my left testicle was the main quarterback. Mm -hmm. And um, when he got removed from the game, the backup quarterback, we weren't sure how he was going to pan out, but I've got two kids from the backup quarterback. So. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Larry's right. looking at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it, you know, and, and backup quarterback. Uh, Nick Foles, baby. You had to mix football in this. To, into the reproduction, right? Yeah. Uh, amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Okay, so so we're at um you're a musician, you're you're going basically into sin for lack of a better term. Oh, yeah. I was I wasn't in sin. I was submerged underneath sin. That's how yeah. deep I was into it. I mean in when I said I left the church, I mean I left God, I left Jesus, I left everything behind because you know nothing mattered but me. Yeah. I wanted everybody to know how I felt. I wanted everybody to feel my pain. Yeah. I wanted everybody to experience it on my pain tolerance level. And it was it was about me living my best life my way. Yeah. And I want to say something real quick because I want to message I want to say something to Christians out there because um I was telling my wife this last week as a painful memory from my childhood 
that I wanted to bring up, and it goes in line with what you were just telling me when you're 13, but any man that's inside of a church right now, or any woman for that matter, that has a chance to interact with kids inside the church, even the smallest interaction with them is huge because I remember when I was a kid and a guy from my church, um, I went over with one of my friends. By the way, I was a turd head in school. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. And parents didn't want me hanging out with their kids and they had every right to I, do that, right? I can see, sense that about you. you no, know, seriously. I, it's true. It's true. All jokes aside, I was a bad kid. Um, but I still wanted to be loved by people. I still wanted to be cared. I didn't want to be rejected. Um, and I went over and I went over to this guy's house that my friend was installing a radio, um, like an old CD player into this kid's truck. And I found a blown fuse. Everybody was trying to figure out what's going on. I found this blown fuse. I pulled it out and I said, here you go. Well, this was a leader in our church. And, um, he goes, Ooh, Eagle eye. And then he said under his breath, he said, I bet that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to you. And he was right about that. I mean, maybe I've never thought of it that way, but maybe it was the nicest thing that anybody said it to me, but he didn't mean it in a nice way. He meant it in a condescending, rejecting way. And I took it that way. I'm 37 years old now. That was probably every bit of 20 years ago. And I still remember that. And I still remember the pain from it. That guy ended up dying um, not too long ago. And I see his son hurting from it and stuff like that on Facebook and stuff. And I thought about it. And I had to like hit my knees and pray and say, like, if there's anything that of unforgiveness I have for this guy, please, God, release him from it. I forgive him because there's those Bible verses that say mm. um, that if if you don't forgive him, they're unforgiven. And so I had to pray to God and say, hey, listen, I forgive him. If there's anything that's holding his soul back from doing what it, what it, what it needs to do with you, because he was a Christian man. Um, I said, I release it and I forgive him 100 percent. But I carried that with me forever you're carrying something with you forever since you were a kid. Our interactions as men and leaders or women, I'm not a leader in the church, but like we do lead people in ways, no matter how you look at it, is vastly and massively important. Yes, We is. have to take it seriously, don't you? It, it's very serious. Um, one of my favorite sayings is words are like bullets. Once they're fired across your tongue, you can't get them back. No. And words carry weight. Um, Big time. And in, in a good illustration of that is in, in Genesis, God spoke. God didn't create with his hands. God spoke. <clears throat> so we were made in God's image, so we were meant to speak to our environment to make it change. When sin entered into the garden, that's when Adam and Eve fell, and they lost that ability to speak, and things re- would react to their voice because that's what Jesus came to, to redeem was that. Well, wow, I never thought of it. Yeah, that's crazy. And to redeem us from our sins going forward because he was the ultimate sacrifice. That's why he ascended, or excuse me, descended into hell. He took the keys to hell, death, and the grave. Then, And then he rose out of the grave and ascended to the Father. So what the first Adam lost, the second Adam took back. That was the power of our words. Proverbs 18.21 is there's power of life and death in the tongue. Yeah. And those who love of it will eat of its fruit. Yeah. Um, I'm not quoting scripture to be big or anything about me, but you're I, just proving um, biblically what, what we're talking about. Right. Biblically stating, I can stand on that word right there and tell you that words have meaning. Words carry weight. Those words from those people in that church, you know, years and years ago carried weight. 
And that weight was enough to separate me from the love of the Father by my own choice, not by God's choice, by my choice. And okay, so you're a man. Of, you're a man of God now, and you've. I'm, and I've gotten to know you a little bit here, and you've already like encouraged me and stuff like that. But I want you to take me back to the time where it was dark for you, where you had separated yourself from God. What was what was that like for you? Um, was there um, a darker time than others? Yes, there was a there was a there was a huge time in in my life about two years. Um, I'd say about the time I started driving, you know, 15, 16 years old, that I would just question my own existence. And I kept listening to that voice in my head saying, you're worthless. You're a piece of trash. You know, God doesn't love you. And I started going on this kind of soul searching, what's the meaning of life type thing. Mm -hmm. And that's when one of the, co-workers I worked with had signed me up for a newsletter from this um, organization. I won't even mention their name because it's uh, it's a satanic organization. They're still around today? Oh, yes, they are. They are, and I, I don't want to... Um, you don't want to give them any publicity? I don't want to give them any publicity at all. They they actually mailed to my home address a satanic Bible, a booklet with prayer chants uh, to Satan, to... And, <sighs> specific instructions on how to go to the next level in Satanism. Um, did you ever, did you ever um, participate in what they sent you? No, I, I read the materials and I read, you know, the, the satanic Bible and, and, and just learning just, I was, I was searching. How yeah. long's the satanic Bible? I can't tell you. You can't many, even remember how long, long remember it was. Pages. I know the Bible they sent me was about an inch and a half thick. Whew. What it sounds like to me is by the way you're describing your like your <clears throat> satanic portion was that you had enough God rooted in you to where even though you were questioning your existence, well, you were still like, I'm scared to death to say this stuff out loud or whatever. You knew the, well, the realness of it actually. Yeah. I wanna I wanna I wanna I wanna point that towards my grandparents and my mom. Okay. My grandparents and my mom were praying for me. Yes. I mean, constantly. And <clears throat> that that prayer of protection that they were pray, praying over me and that prayer for me to come back to the Lord was probably what kept me from taking that initial step off fully into Satanism. Um, but I noticed the more I would read about the, the Satanic Bible and the more I would you know, kind of learn what it was talking about and stuff like that, it's my music career started taking off. Ooh. I mean, it's like, whoa. This is really weird. I mean, did, did it feel like a, like a foggy presence was around that? Like, did you know that it was something something weird going on with that? It, what I call it, it, it was something definitely demonic, spiritual about it because it's like it was almost like a a stranger trying to lure a piece a kid all, away with a piece of candy. Hey, I'll <sighs> give you this if you do this. You know, and, so there's there was like a sense of there's more where this came from type yes, of stuff. It's like if you if you just keep coming a little bit closer, I'll give you another I'll give you another bump. Was it tempting? Oh yeah, it, it was it was like everything I wanted. I mean, from from fourteen fifteen years old, all I wanted to be was a rock star. That was it. Yeah, and um, it's like more. I, I didn't do the correlation of what those verses and those chapters were telling me to do in the satanic Bible, 
I would read it and I just, I, I would stand there and kind of turn my head sideways and look at it. But it's like, I never really wanted to go off into it. And I, and I attribute that to, to the prayers of my grandparents who were solid Christians. And I attribute that to my prayers of my mom because she, she prayed earnestly for me to turn around. I know that's why this is what's crazy. Go ahead and say something. I got a story to tell you though. I want to tell you this too. Bo, Mm -hmm. do you agree with me that even just reading it starts to affect you? Oh yeah. I mean, it is that, that little entryway door that little crack in the armor or whatever, that if you're not fortified against, can just weave its way in like a like a bad ingrown hair, basically, that yep. just festers. Well, when, you know, going back in my past a little bit, because when I used to you know, teach men in, in, in Georgia where I'm from, is I used to tell the, the men in my group that I was you know leading, if you give Satan an inch, he'll take you a mile. Amen, he does. And, and more importantly, he'll lead you by little bitty things that you will question whether or not are right or wrong. And then before long, you don't realize that you've stepped all the way into the lake. hundred yards, yeah. You, you think right. you're just stepping in a mud puddle and you end up in a, a lake that's well, overwhelming. There's a pastor that I look up to, and I won't mention his name either, but he, he explained it to the – he explained a sermon, a whole sermon about this. He called Satan a trophy hunter. Hmm. And you you allure you allude the fact that Satan's a trophy hunter. He finds out everything he wants to know about you. He finds out your deepest desires. He finds out your deepest wants, and he presents those to you in such a package, in such a way that oh, well, it won't hurt if I just do this. Nobody will know. Well, God knows. Amen. Every time. And if it's not in God's will, man, then then it's just it's never ending. Like he. You will have to pay for what the devil gives you someday. Like God will give you and not expect anything in return right. eventually, but the devil, whatever he gives you is going to come back for his later on. Right. Right. Isn't that true? Yes. Um, they call it a day of reckoning. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cause it's a, uh, it's really, it's strange how the Bible talks about the white throne of judgment, but also the satanic Bible talks about, you know, there's, there's going to be a time of, of recommence or, or, or repayment where, where, whatever you, whatever has given you yours, mm-hmm. but do they talk about what that repayment is? Is it your soul? They don't specifically say your soul. Don't even allude to what the payment is because they won't, they, it doesn't allude to what it is. It always says, you know, um, Oh, this is scaring the crap out of me. It all, it just, allude, it just, it, the, the best I can describe it, it alludes you to the fact that you are, you yeah it, whatever you do you have to it's all about self-love yes, yes it's about incorporating self above higher than anything else which is the exact opposite of what the bible says it says deny yourself, yourself pick, pick up, up your, your cross. cross daily exactly so it is is eerily similar but it's polar opposite of what the bible says yes so in, similar concepts but opposite principles yes uh, one of the things that Larry's, Larry's heard me say before is I, I tell people all the time, I said, Satan has no power to create, only power to manipulate. Amen. So in, in that same vein, Satan will manipulate things and tell you, you know, and, and make you feel like it's good. Like, okay, well, um, I can go do this and I can be happy with what I've done, but yet, I don't have to worry about the repayment. I don't have to worry about the recommence. I don't have to worry about the collateral damage. Nothing. 
because it's literally what I want to do. Yeah. That's what, that's what, you know, that's why they talk so little about the repayment because they all know what it is, but if you knew what it was, how could they sell it to you? Because no, but it's not worth it ever. It would be too real. I'm going to say this in the recording just in case, but we're having some technical difficulties today. And the cameras has shut off on us twice now. So it's pretty obvious that the devil doesn't want whatever message is coming out here to come out. Absolutely. But that's okay. We're going to, guess what? We're going to keep pressing play and we're going to sit here until we, what, until God gets out what he needs the listeners to hear. It doesn't matter if we have to do it a hundred times. So devil, you might as well go pick on someone else because you just picked on the wrong ones. We, we got names. We're called the wrong ones. Okay. So that's what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah I'm the ones. So Bo, what, what were you, what were you talking about? Cause Larry said something, then you said something. And then I got something I want to tell you about something I read on Reddit today. Well, um, uh, all the technical technical difficulties we've been having, we were we were bouncing around about <clears throat> um, about your parents praying for you and stuff yeah, like that. Whenever yeah. you had possession of the Satanic Bible and stuff, when like I had that. possession of you know those papers and those that, that book and everything, and my grandparents and my mom both were praying for me. I'm pretty sure, you know I'm hundred percent hundred percent convinced that's what kept me from going to a life of that I would have regretted. Yes. Um, you know, nothing's for free in this world except the gift that Christ gives you, and that's forgiveness. But it costs you for you to believe in him. Yes. So when I was going through those time, that time period of my life, I was going through all that, and like I said, if I would lean more towards going that way, lean more towards what Satan was telling me in those papers and those books, like my music career would just, I would get another opportunity. I would go deeper. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Buford, Georgia and okay. In the mic, I'm in the mic, Larry, come on now. (laughs) He's happy because he gets to tell somebody, right. He gets to pick on me, but I was in, you know, in Buford was 35 miles Northeast of Atlanta. And if you know anything about Atlanta, you know anything about Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia's music scene, there's just certain venues you just had to play to get noticed. One was the Masquerade. Second was the Strand. The third was the Fox Theater, the Roxy, Smith's Old Bar, and the Samba Reptile. And then you have the, the 40 Watt, which was in Athens, which was owned by the guitarist for R.E.M., Peter Buck. So if you got in any of those venues, you were getting a lot of the attention from the music the Reps. big dogs, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, RCA, Capital, Atlantic, all were based in Atlanta. RCA, yeah. Um, and basically, if you got in those venues, you were getting noticed and you were getting put in front of people who could really make your career take off. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like here in Oklahoma, uh, there's some radio stations that will do some local stuff for, like, local bands and, you know, give them a, a bump. Well, we had one of those situations in Atlanta, and one of the bands I was in got the opportunity to go into a battle of bands. Um, and the prize was winning studio time and getting your, your demo made basically for you for free, wow, which is, that'd be good. That was a lot of money back then. I mean, that was anywhere from, you know, eight to $10,000 back then to, to make a, a, a demo that was worth putting out and worth getting into executive hands. Well, the band I was in long story short, we were tied for first place. And we were headed to Atlanta to play the masquerade. This was on a Wednesday night. 
And <clears throat> I was in a relationship with a female at the time. And I mean, it was, it was just sinful. I mean, it was crazy. I'll just put it that way. We won't even go into details. I, well, as a guy, I know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. It, it was just purely sexual, basically, is what you're saying. Purely, purely, purely sexual. It didn't matter if she she would invite other girls in the bedroom. I mean, it was just crazy. It was just like you're rock getting, and roll. You're a rock star. Yeah, yeah. It was a rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so she was hungry, and I was hungry too. So we decided to leave the venue to go to the Varsity uh, restaurant, which was just down the street from this. I was driving the car. Well, she got where she wanted to. She said she would just stay and and at the at the place and 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 wait for me to get back with the food. Yeah. Well, on the way to get the food, a homeless guy walked out in front of me. Oh, I hit this dude with this car. Oh my goodness! Sent him like thirty feet in the air. And he was and, fine. And no, no, and, oh, he was okay. <laughs> and he sent him sixty feet in front of me. Good and grief. So, I mean, I hit him doing like 40, 45 miles an hour. Yeah. And I am freaked out at this point. Yeah. Because I think I'm, the guy's not moving. I think I killed him, right? Yeah. And I'm supposed to be doing this really important show and getting ready for my next phase of my music career. And I asked the officer, am I going to jail? Because I thought I killed this guy with the car. He says, the officer turned and says, no, don't worry about it. This, it was, this was February. It was really cold. So they do this to get three hots in a cot. I'm like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? She goes, the officer told me, she said, they walk out in front of cars to get hit and just so they can go to the hospital, get drugs and get food and get taken care of. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, this is really strange. I mean, this is like, I didn't want to eat anymore. I went and got food for her. I went back. I played that the whole entire night. I played that whole entire night. Memory what that guy said. On, when he was on the ground. What did he say? He says, Jesus, take me home. I'm thinking, this guy is homeless. He's laying on the ground after me hitting him. I mean, it destroyed the windshield of my car. I couldn't hardly see out of it. But Jesus, take me home. Rung in my ears the whole night. I'm playing the songs. These are songs that... How old are you right now? I am 23. Okay. Almost 24. Or just turned 23, excuse me. These words are just ringing in my ears over everything else going on on stage, everything else. Because, you know, I really went into what they call uh, autopilot. I knew these songs backwards and forwards. I knew my part and knew everything. Yep. So on and so forth. And I want to tell you how strange this gets. Okay. It's freaked me out. I mean, I'm I'm playing my part. I do everything. We go into the dressing room after doing a a, a really good set. You know, it was fine. It nothing went wrong. Nothing major happened. And my producer for the band comes in, and he's just mad. I mean, he's just livid because I was late for a final sound check. I was late for you know getting on the stage. And I explained to him my while I had hit this guy on the way back. And he turned to me, and this, these, this is what started my end of my music career in the secular world. This is what he said to me, verbatim. He said to me, he says, you're nothing but a whore and a beer salesman to me. I'll replace you by tomorrow morning. And I reflect back on that to this day. If he had never said that to me, I'd probably still be in chains. 
yeah. to, to the music business. Everything that night had to happen to you. Everything that whole night had to happen to you. Right. And what's what keeps ringing in my head about what you just said was the fact that the girl stayed behind. Like God had a message for you. Yep. And, and that's and he it. Used, and he used somebody else's pain. You know, that guy. Well, the guy was going to do it anyway. Well, you yeah, know, but, like but, it, if it wasn't you, it was going to be someone else. Right. But on the flip side of that, when he was, when, when my producer in, in the dressing room was going off on, on not only me, but other members of the band telling us that we're nothing but whores and beer salesmen, he took it a step further. He says, you screw who I tell you to screw and when I tell you to do it. And if you don't like it, there's the door. I immediately got up, grabbed my stuff, and I packed my gear, and I never went back. And so as you're as you're leaving that venue and you said that um you said that the fact that that guy said Jesus take me home rang throughout your head the whole night. What kind of impact did that have on you moving forward from that day after you walked out? Well, I when I got back home that night and I unpacked my gear and put it put it in the garage and was on my, you know, going going to bed. Something was just gnawing at me. You know, like I couldn't figure out why that guy was talking to Jesus. At first it made me really angry because, you know, my first association with that 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 guy was like, yeah, he's believing in Jesus and look at him, he's a bum on the street, you know? Uh-huh. You know, he's worthless, you know. And, and this is you understand I was not a Christian back then. I was nowhere near it. Right. Yeah. I was I was literally associating his worth on on this earth with his worldly possessions. Yeah. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a car. He didn't have proper clothes or nothing. And I was so judgmental about that person that I was judging Jesus by what. For that the fact man, that, that he loved was. him. Right. But for, for, for the fact that who that man was, he was busted and disgusted and on the street homeless because he believed in Jesus. That's what I was associating it with. And if I, if I do that, then that's going to be me. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking that that was the lie that the enemy was telling me and playing over my head. If I believe in Jesus, I won't be poor. I won't be destitute because, you know, the Bible tells you that, you know, the poor and the destitute will always be with you and this and this. You, mm-hmm. you can't, you know, I was was taught that in some in some form in, in the religion that I that I was in or what denomination I was in at that time uh, that it was wrong and it was sinful to be rich. Well, but then I live in the richest country in the world. It's just based off that one Bible verse, right? That that is more. It's easier for a a camel to get uh, passed through the eye of an eagle than a rich person. But a, that's just like the only verse, right? Like, well, I mean, it's not that, I think he was specifically talking about that one guy that hadn't been saved already. The, the, the rich run. Yeah. The, the rich young ruler. Well, I like to liken it to Joe Rogan, right? Like um, Joe Rogan always talks about how good his life is and he makes a hundred million dollars a year. Right. And he's, he's an atheist or an agnostic moreover. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about how, how great his life is. Joe Rogan, is most likely not going to become a Christian because why? Like he's already, he feels like he's got it covered, right? He feels no need for it. He feels no need for it because he's already got, so he's already rich. In order for him to become a Christian, he would have to sell everything and rely on God completely because he's not going to be able to learn the same lessons as me, right? Go ahead, Larry. 
Larry's got something to say. Man, I was on that way. That's complete speculation, by the way. That's just me like throwing stuff off the top of my head. No, but that is exactly why Jesus said it about the young ruler, because he did have everything. And, and if he would have went and sold everything to follow Jesus, he would have still had the pride that said, I sold, I got rid of, I did all of this. Oh. When he came to Jesus, he was talking to him about, well, I've kept all the commandments all my life. I've done everything that I'm supposed to do which was the same reason that Paul had such a problem and hatred for the Christians. Paul, as Saul, was a Pharisee of Pharisees and Sadducees of Sadducees, circumcised on the eighth day. All the rules of his life was followed completely to the letter of the Levitical law. Yeah. Okay? Yet, it's all giving yourself the credit. So even if you sell stuff, you still get the pride and the credit for yes. it. So it didn't matter what and you he's, did. He's the one that says... You have to die to yourself every day. Ooh. You have to beat your flesh into submission to your spirit, man. Yeah. And doing that with it with pride is an impossibility. Yeah. Because it's all, well, I did this. I did that. And and I is the first or the middle letter in sin and I is the middle letter in pride. Right. Think that through. Yeah, in in getting back to the the whole pride issue uh, in in myself personally, if it was good for me, I was down for it because I was so far removed from God. But along the way, God was giving me clues. God was giving me tips. He was giving me hints. Um, I was just too foolish to to take note. Let me guess. Every time you visited your grandma, every time you visited your grandpa, there was some little little thing that God pointed or touched you with, because I know that's how it was with my mom. Cause yep. that was always a reminder. When I went back to see mom, I always got reminded of what her prayers had done for me. Right. Uh, well, see, here's, here's the one fun fact about me that you didn't know. My grandparents lived next door. Oh, they were, <laughs> they were literally across the garden away from us. They were about 900 feet from my front door to theirs. <laughs> wow. So, Yes, uh, every time I would be around them or, or, or talk to them, it was something different. And it was always um, unconditional. <laughs> unconditional love and acceptance. No matter what. No matter what, yeah. And no joy and joy. That no matter what situation well, they were going through, they they still expressed joy. My grandfather, if you if you if you knew this man, he was a very large man. <laughs> yeah, he's told me bigger than me yeah. by far. Yeah, he was uh, in his heyday. He was six foot eleven, four hundred twenty pounds. Good grief, dude! <laughs> six eleven. Yes, he even was, I would have to go. And he was a giant of a man. And I remember being a kid holding on to his hand. And we were walking through a parade in town. It was like Moses parked Red Sea. Everybody <laughs> I mean, just got everybody out of the just way. Got out of his way. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and his name was was EJ Albert John Holland was his last. You know, it was his was his full birth given name. But everybody called him. And you mentioned EJ Holland. Everybody in town knew who it was. Um, and you know, it, it made my life hectic as a kid because I couldn't do anything because everybody knew who who I belonged to. Yeah. Um, but there. And also in that, I found a lot of comfort. So yeah. I, I literally was living two lives. Mm -hmm. In Atlanta, Georgia, I was the long-haired rock and roll drummer. When you came back home, you had to tone it down. When, when I came back home, 
nobody knew nothing. Yeah. Except, you know, my father would get so angry at me for practicing because I practiced all the time. And so it was loud, yeah. Oh, we had a building behind uh, behind our house, and he would he would just make off the wall comments. He would throw apples and hit the top of the barn. I was <laughs> trying to get you to stop, just to get me to stop. You know? just, do you still play? Um, I do at home. Um, I haven't played in a you know a long, long time. For, me neither. I, I used to play drums, by the way, and mm-hmm. not nothing like you. Yeah. Like I was just I I was recreational with the trap set, and I yeah. self taught and stuff right. like that. But I started playing drums when I was in middle school. And I started on the uh, concerts there, and I moved same moved all the way through the the whole percussion group. Um, I did take piano when I was a lot younger. Um, I got to where I could play a lot by ear with piano, and and it just slowly got off into drums. And I and I never went back to the piano. But um, when I started doing music in Atlanta, it was it was crazy because I would be. Um, I'll be at Purple Dragon Studios, or I could be at uh, Sun Studio, or you know, just a lot of the big name studios around town. And uh, ended up doing a lot, to, a lot of the Atlanta Toyota commercials would have wow. would have like a rock and roll yeah. group in it, and that was you know me and some of my friends. We got together and we played, and we got paid pretty well for doing it. Um, but you know, it was always fun to go play in the in those bars I mentioned earlier and those those venues because you never know who'd walk in. I mean, you know, Kevin Kenny from Driving and Crying, you know, Peter Buck from REM. Sometimes Michael Stipe would stop in. I mean, uh, I even got to meet Flea from the Chili Peppers. I mean, just, you know, a lot of musicians in, yeah, in the business. Dogs, yeah, big dogs. Yeah, big dogs. I got to see uh, Fred Curry from Cinderella. He was the drummer. And Tom Kiefer, which is the lead singer from Cinderella. I took a group I followed when I was a kid. And I kind of modeled my career, you know, in some of the same lines they did. But, you know, looking back at all that time, that I spent, you know, day in and day out just wanting to be that rock star, wanting to be all that. What I what I realized during during that that season of my life is when I lived for me, at the end of the day it was empty. Yeah. I questioned my existence. I questioned why am I doing this? I didn't have a I didn't have a sense of self worth. I didn't have a sense of self value unless I was behind that drum set. Or I was going from one venue to the next. Wow. And, yeah, um, your identity was wrapped up in that object. Yes. It's it's an object, right? It's a spiritual object. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. I just realized this. That's the whole deal about me being a cop. Yes. That was all for me, buddy. Like me being a cop. Like it's, I, my whole identity was wrapped up in the fact that I was a police officer. And you just made me realize that. That's why I don't have any interest in going back because I'm not like... Being a cop, especially, you're supposed to be doing that for other people. Mm-hmm. I was not. Well, I was doing it for me. When, wow. when you get in that that trap set of what I call a trap set of mind, and I have a lot of friends in the music business. A lot of them have played with a lot of big names and stuff like that. And um, one particular keyboardist who played for a good country, a, a really big country artist. I won't even mention names. Uh, had called me to come out and come back up Elvis. And that's kind of funny because it was an Elvis impersonator. And I'm like, yeah, okay. What's it pay? He told me what it paid. And I'm like, that's not bad for one night. I'll go. Yeah. And I got out there and we did, we did our our first set and we're backstage and talking with this guy. He's like, man, I'm not going back on the road. I said, well, Keith, what are you going to do? 
He says, I don't know. He says, but I'm, I'm really tired of this. He says, I f- I'm so sick and tired of being told when to do, what to do, how to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm done, Bo. He's, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. I'm sick and tired of this. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here thinking, man, this is a, this is a guy I really admired who was making his way in music and, and going down the, the path I thought I wanted to go You want to be there. I yeah. wanted to be there where he was at. I mean, he was making good money. I mean, he was making, yeah. you know, really good money at, at, at doing what he, what I thought he loved, but he absolutely hated it. Yeah. And so I leave that, I leave that show and, um, I go home and I'm thinking, wow, you know, music to me is, 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 is like breathing. And then, um, I started questioning, you know, what, what, what should I do? So I, I met my older kid's mother and, um, started dating her and my music career just kind of stalled. And uh, it's almost like I pushed paused on it really. Yeah. And for, for the exact reason of, you know, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what, what I wanted to be, or I didn't know who I was. I was literally a shell of a person. Yeah. Um, so she comes home one day and takes a pregnancy test and, She's pregnant with pregnant with my older my oldest son, and this was like she became pregnant like two or three months before we got married. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm thinking, whoa, I'm going to be a dad after being told I wasn't going to have kids, told I was infertile, and and just being told this stuff. That's and, something you hadn't even prepared for the no, a mindset. No, and I I knew I didn't want to be the same father that I had. So I started really looking at myself in in the mirror and, and not liking what I saw. Yeah. And having that realization that I didn't like who I was um, made me want to do something different. Mm-hmm. Well, we decided to, to go to church. Well. Where was this at? This was in Georgia. Okay. This was in Georgia. And uh, we lived in a little town called Sugar Hill. And this uh, church we decided to go to was actually uh, a startup church. It was kind of a meeting in an elementary school, didn't even have a building. And some of the coworkers of my older kid's mother um, were starting this church. So we decided to go. All right. So we liked it. It was like, okay, cool. They needed, a, they needed another drummer. So I raised my hand and went into that and, that started opening doors for Christian music. So I, I said, okay, you know. So I kind of toyed around with Christian music a little bit, and then I found this group of guys in a town next to where I was at, and we started rehearsing and, and, and uh, practicing and really putting together songs and originals and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, okay, God, boom, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And during the midst of this time, um, I was coming back to know God. I was asking for forgiveness. I was, you know. Well, was, that I was going to ask you was, um, was what you dabbled in with the whole satanic thing when you first came back to the church? Was that like a fear of yours that like maybe this is going to hang over me for the rest of my life? Well. Did you have any spirits I, attached to you from that that you oh, feel like? I had a lot of stuff going on. Take me through that when you first walked when back I, in. When I first started walking back into the church, um. I felt such a condemnation. I really did because, you know, I had destroyed so many lives. I had just 
really um, not been a good person. Yeah. Um, and I had impacted people in such a way that um, I impacted them negatively. Just, just in what I would say or what I would do. I identify with that. Um, and I won't even go into the details of that because that's just, just going to get us into some weeds we don't need to get into. You know, but, I understand it completely. I, I was the same way. Like I've, I feel I, when you said that, when you said that, like I've ruined lives before I have ruined lives. I have ruined people's lives before. Right. And it, that sucks to say that, but it, it's true. It, it's, it's true. It's a weight that you carry until you give it to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Until, until you give it to Christ and really think about the weight of that issue and how much Christ has saved us from. Yeah. Then, then, then those chains begin to fall away. But yes, there was a huge spiritual war going on inside me. There was literally spiritual attacks. I mean, I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking, you know, after having a dream, thinking these people were going to kick me out of the church because they found out who I was. I was exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't mean that like I was a mass murderer or, or anything like that. No, that just people found out. The devil was trying to make you um, seem like, trying to convince you that you were irredeemable and that and that you started to identify um, a positive relationship with this church and the devil was trying to get you to escape from that because he knew that was yeah. your root. He, he, knew, he knew if I really leaned into Jesus, Jesus would accept me back fully. As I am, not as I was, but as I am at that moment, Satan was doing everything he could in his power to manipulate, to get me not to go to church, not to be involved with any activity of the church, not to read the Bible, not to do anything. I mean, my finances would be so jacked up. I mean, that's the first thing that he would hit would be my finances, you know, and, and I would just throw my hands up, cuss and stomp and just get madder than a, you know, a wet hen. And, and because my finances would get jacked up, yeah, yep. and that was be that that would be the easiest thing for him to torch is what I would say. He would literally torch my finances, and I would just get I would go into orbit. I'd be hovering four or five foot off the floor, throwing things, cussing, just stomping yeah. around like a like a two year old. And <laughs> one day I was in one of those mad fits like that, and I just stopped. We're not, we're not laughing at you. No, but I, okay. it, this is... This he is, probably knows why I'm laughing. This, this is my funny. Laps, my wife's back there. Literally, her face is red. She's like, that's him. <laughs> but I was in the middle of this fit, and I just stopped. And I'm like, God's looking at me. You said God's looking God, at you? I could feel God looking at me. And I felt these words in my ears, as loud as thunder. Are you done yet? Oh. And from that moment forward, God's been real. But I'm gonna I'm gonna fast forward a little bit more in my life and I'm gonna show you another time in my life that God, I just I just pictured something the reason why I backtrack a little bit because I just pictured something like grandiose about you like burning the satanic Bible and, and moving on with your life and well, stuff to like be honest, that. I wanna I wanna touch on that you heard the word of God in your ear. Because mm-hmm. we touched on that last week. Last yeah. Week. I don't know if you got a chance to listen, but oh, well, no, it just dropped yesterday. So, and one of the big things on that is knowing that that was God's voice. Yeah. 
the reason I knew it was God's voice is because it's something that touched me like nothing else. Nothing else could ever touch me that way. Yeah, so there you go. There's a new conversation that not only is a a voice, but there's also a feeling that's associated with it, correct? So when God talks to you, there's not only a voice, but there's also some sort of emotion or feeling, correct? Well, it's a sense. It's like a sense of something over you or protecting you. It's a sense of peace. It's a sense of clarity. Like you know you know that you know that this is the Lord. Yes. That that it would you most people call it like a sixth sixth sense. Yes. That's how I knew it was God. Um I was a very young Christian at the time, but I, I really it's almost like I was outside of myself looking back and I'm seeing this guy throw a fit over nothing. How old were you? Do you mind me asking? Twenty four, twenty five. I'm like 37 and like that, so there's no hope for me. No, I mean, no, I'm, I'll be 60. Finally got it. Woo! But, you know, uh, looking back at that, at that time, and, and that's just one of those things that, like, God didn't have to do anything but show up. And, yeah. And it stopped. Immediately it stopped. And, and, and um, Satan is, is a god of chaos. He's a god of disorder. Lies, too. That's the thing that I, that I noticed what you said there. All God had to do was show up, and the reason why it stopped right then was because you realized the truth whenever you had been believing a lie before. Exactly. Exactly. When the, when the lie can't stand in the presence of the truth. Ooh. Exactly. Push it out. But it it's like the 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 chaos of that moment, the the enragement I felt because of whatever happened. I can't even remember what happened. That's how quick it moved. And um that's why I love that 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 visual that in you know Jesus is our anchor uh-huh. and we're tied to him and no matter what the waves do to us we still got our anchor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um a pastor uh said this to once and, and to me and it really resonated with me. He says, "You know what? Life is full of storms. The storms may not be your fault, but you still got to go through them." Yes. True. And if Jesus if Jesus is your anchor, then you got nothing to worry about. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's the hardest right now. That's that's why I told him, I was talking to him. Yeah, I think it was yesterday because we are really we're really like this is our mission is to talk to atheists or former former atheists in your case and stuff like that. And I it seems like a common denominator is people um, saying that like, well, it would be nice to believe in what you guys believe in. It would be nice because it wouldn't be nice if life was just easy and we had hope um, of a God that's just going to take care of all of our problems and blah, 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 and stuff like that. And I've been thinking about this. I haven't had a chance to respond to one of them yet, but me and him were talking like, it's it's not fun being a Christian. Like, it's not fun. It's very hard it's to be easy. a Christian. Well, yeah, I take that back. I wouldn't have it any other way, right? But since I've devoted my life to Christ, and especially since I just started in December and I'm 37, God's got a lot of stuff he's got to work out of me. Yes. And so my life is very difficult. And so I, in, in counter to that, to that statement, um, this isn't fun for me. <laughs> I'm not having a blast being well, a Christian. I want it that way, but I'm not having a blast. One of one of my one of my spiritual mentors and really one of the guys who helped me through some really dark times, he says, Bo, he says, You like to work with the ends? I said, Yes, I do. He says, you know, think about a, a piece of furniture you restored or a car you restored or anything you've worked on. Do you think that that furniture or that car really appreciated that sandpaper? That that just took off layer after layer after layer. Do you think that car or that that furniture appreciated you doing that to it? 
I said, well, no. I said, what's that got to do with me? He says, God's using that. He says, he's got 60 grit on you. He's pushing. He's just taking off layer by layer. Yep. And, and what is so cool about God and what most people who are atheists don't understand, as he removes a layer, he's also preparing you for what he's about to give you. Yes. And in that preparation of removing layer after layer after layer, and in that preparation for that new finish, once that piece of furniture is done or once that car is restored or whatever is taken care of, it's got that new look to it, that is when the appreciation comes of what what you went through to get to that point. Because you can't see it when you're going through it, but when you go through it, you see what he's doing. Exactly. He's always always there yes even even i know just deep in my heart and deep in my spirit even when i was just so far from him in my mind i was eons and eternities away from john you could look back and see where he was present i could see where he he put up barriers he put fences he put people in my path and stuff like that just just to i call them speed bumps to slow me down and uh one of the verses that really resonated in my mind and I wanted to, to it's one of my life verses I live by is Romans eight and 28 for he causes all things to work for the good for people called according to his purposes. You have to take that verse and break it down, especially for like an atheist. They can't, well, what do you mean all things work for good? Well, you got to have the back half of that verse for people called according to his purposes. In other words, you have to be his for it to work out for good. Yeah. You can't be, uh, agnostic or atheist or anything and expect that verse to work in your life because it, it won't. It's an explanation for bad things that happen to you. It's an explanation for bad things that happen to us. Well, right. Well, some, I wouldn't even use it as, as an explanation. It's a roadmap. Yeah. To turn everything that you feel is bad or good into praise. Because if you praise him in the small things, you go, you'll automatically praise him in the big things. Yeah. Because everything has to be, turned around and give him back to God because God says my word goes forth. It will not return to me null and void. Mm-hmm. And when, and the reason I bring that up is because you cannot now tell me that there's no God because I have experienced too much and I have seen too much and I have felt the presence of the Holy spirit. I have watched the Holy spirit do things that most people would be like, that just didn't happen. Well, yes, it did. I've watched God move move mountains, not literal mountains. I'm talking mountains of just chains of of debris and and just chains of addictions. I've watched God break them. I've watched God move them. And you, you've been in our life since mm-hmm. the beginning of our return to or my return to church and her entry yes. in the church. Yes, you which have is how long seen now? Six the years. Whole complete transformation in my wife Darcia and yes. you have seen God deliver her from alcohol. Yes. Oh I mean, wow. Seen it. So yes. since you've been to church yes. she's been Darcia Wow. I love Darcia. You know like <laughs> she said she used to run from me and Julie. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Oh because you were you were well, uh, kind of we, we, we would always, you know, just, you know, uh, my wife if you ever uh, you'll get to meet her but my wife is just like one of the most bubbly uh easygoing people you ever meet uh, yeah she's she's a she's a joy to be around uh, and unless i make her mad so uh, 
Yeah, if I make her mad, I want to run. But and her accent will catch your attention immediately. Yeah, she is. She is very southern. Oh, okay. Yes. She is from. She is from uh, Gulfport, Mississippi. I love it. I love it. Uh, my southern accent's not as bad, but uh, I don't. I don't detect one at all. Well, you know, most people don't. But if I go to Mississippi or if I go back to Georgia, it kind of picks back up a little bit. But yeah, the 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 wonderful thing about about Julie is in the middle of of uh, me going back to church and, and, and me, you know, meeting Julie and everything. And, um, Julie and I, our relationship started after hurricane Katrina and that's how I met her. I was actually writing estimates for insurance adjusters and agencies and underwriters for, uh, for, uh, certain insurance companies. And, um, one of the, the property that she managed was uh, one of my claims. And that's how I met her. Um, she was not nice to me the first time I met her. Um, she kind of really just put my tail between my legs and kicked me out the door pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing about it is I got in the truck and I was driving back to get ready to back out of the parking place and drive away is my older kid's mother name is Julie and my wife now name is Julie. Oh, wow. And I just screamed out at the top of my lung, my lungs. I said, the name fits and just was upset because I thought my boss had kind of set me up with, uh, with Julie being mean to me and kind of kicking me out. And I thought he was, you know, being a practical joker. Cause you had some disdain for a Julie. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, I had a lot of disdain for the, for the, for the, the name Julie. <laughs> um, but you know, that's a whole nother talk show, but you know, Julie and I, when we first met, we didn't do things right. We didn't do any, you know, we, we didn't. And I, and I, I wanted to point that out because I went from being away from God to going back to God. And the moment that I started following God again, I started getting involved with missions with my church. I started, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to be the super Christian. I'm going to do everything I can to be right. Well, you tell God your plans. I think God laughs because I really wanted to be, on fire for God, I wanted to do everything right because I've already been polar opposite. Yeah. I was living for me. Well, I want to do everything for God. Well, at the age of 33, um, I find myself going through a divorce with two young kids. Um, That's probably one of the hardest things you've ever gone through. Uh, yeah. It was, it was really rough. Um, I won't get into a whole lot of specifics about it, but I remember... I was in the floor of my living room and I was just broken. Yeah. And I said, God, how could you allow this to happen to me when I just started following you again? I was going on mission trips. I was giving God my good boy list. Yeah. Yeah. I was a good boy. I was doing this. I was doing this and doing this. How could you let this happen to me? And, you know, my wife left me for a friend who I played football with in high school and was also a business partner of mine. Ugh. And we went all, his family and my family, we all went to the same church. And that, I mean, that just adds salt in a wound, yes, right? Yes, it did. Um, and the pastor comes to me and says, look, he says, I can't help you. He says, I don't have no programs to help you. He hands me a card to another church and says, you know, they've got programs that can help you. And he says, I, I really don't want you back on the stage playing. Whoa, man. So, Church hurt number two. So I got I got music ripped away from me again. Good grief. And so, so you're really mad at God now. I was 
I was ticked off. Yeah. And I was laying in the, I was in the, in the front of our little small house. I was tore out of frame. And when I mean tore out of frame, I, this was like pain I had never felt before. Yeah. Um, well, you've got your wife leaving you. You've lost your friend. You've lost your best. Uh, you've lost your business partner, which is all three separate entities. And then your home base that was rejection. What that pastor did, he rejected you. Right. And honestly, rejection is probably my number one thing that I don't want to feel ever with anybody. I hate rejection. Well, that's all rejection right there. All four of those things. When I was when I was in the floor of the house, I was pulling the drawers out of the arm wall, which had the TV in it. Now we were separating things and stuff like that. And I'm by myself, and I'm pulling out pictures. I'm seeing the wedding pictures. I'm seeing the pictures of both of our kids being born and all this other stuff. And I'm, I'm just mad and I just break. I'm crying and, and just broken. And I've never cried like this before. I cried. I mean, I was crying so hard I couldn't breathe. Yeah. And I was mad at God. I'm like, God, how could you do this? Mm-hmm. How could you let this happen? When I, when I, when I came back to you and I'm, I'm in a, just a broken state and as loud as thunder, I hear God say, this is what it feels like every time you sin. I'm like, dude, what? Whoa. I said, there's no way it hurts too bad. He says, he said it again. This is what it feels like every time you sin. What you're saying is God hurts that bad every time you sin. And and I immediately out like a light on the floor. If you fell asleep. I I was out. Or like passed out. I was like, I don't know if it's sleep, passed out or whatever. But to give you an idea the arm wall is in the front of the living room. The door is over here. There's a, a a glass table with fossil stone trim. There's a couch and there's a love seat. I'm up here at the TV. When I went down on that floor, I went out, literally out. I wake up. I'm sitting over here. Wow. So you know what I do? At that point in time in my life, going through the divorce and going through separating everything, I just reached down, grabbed my cigarettes, my lighter off the fossil, off the coffee table, walk outside. As I'm walking outside, I said, okay, God, you win. And from that point on, God started breaking off things to me, breaking relationships, breaking habits, drinking, smoking, cursing, whatever. All that stuff started being broke off of me. You fully surrendered in that I moment. I fully surrendered at that moment. He had to bring you there, man. He had to bring you in there. That's what's crazy. Like, that's why... That's why the number one most important commandment that Jesus said is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the reason why I know that's the most important commandment is because of that woman over there. Um, I love her so much that I would literally kill someone that hurt her. But I, I don't want to be the one that, that hurts her, right? And that's that's how much you want to be love, love God is because I if he really does hurt that much from that, cause I, this is hitting me right now. Cause I didn't, I didn't realize that I'm, this is me saying that that's why that's the most important command. Cause I'm realizing this. Like if God really does hurt that much, every time you sin, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt him cause I love him. That's crazy. No, thanks. Like you, you and Angela are married in the eyes of the Lord. You're one, one flesh. Everything that you do to her, you're you do, doing to God. You do to yourself. Yeah. Well, you do it to yourself because God said, you know, what he has put together, let no man separate. And I always tell you, that's no man, no one man, no, no, no anything, you know, no man separate. But see, but when the two become one flesh, 
That is so important. I've told you that. Remember that. Like, um, um, you know, I'm going to share something that probably my older son's going to kick me in the teeth for sharing. But my well, oldest, just tell him this was a boring conversation well, and don't listen my, to it. My oldest son's going through a divorce, and he called me yesterday, broken. He's like, Dad, I just I feel so disconnected. I feel so, I just feel so dis- discombobulated. And I'm like, Son, what you're experiencing right now is a spiritual death. I said, You got married to this woman. You consummated your marriage. You have a soul tie. Your soul is tied to her, and now that's being ripped apart because part of your soul is dying. Yes. And he's like, Dad, uh, uh, how do you know? I said, Son, I lived it. Yeah. I lived through it. I said, The only thing you can do is pray to God and let God, let Jesus fill that hole. Fill it. And you just got to take it one step at a time. I said, live one day at a time. And sometimes it'll be living one minute at a time. Mm-hmm. But God wastes nothing. And I told you him, said what now? Say God, God wastes nothing. Oh, yes. Every minute of pain that I have gone through that was part of my walking away and looking for answers and, and stuff like that, God has redeemed it all. Because it prepared me for things that I have gone through in the future, but it's also prepared me to talk to people on a whole different level. I mean, this is like your story is like literally insane, and it's it's moving me like crazy. So like, um, hey, I'm grateful that you, <laughs> I'm I, you know, you almost hate to say that, but I'm grateful that you went through that. That I can just get like I'm I've learned so much from you, and I just barely met barely met right. you. No, I mean, okay, so like. Um, the, my first men's thing I ever went to, um, ever, ever mm-hmm. you spoke at it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I remember that. I remember that. I, I remember too, like, um, I, I'm not a big crier. Well, I wasn't. Um, and I noticed that like every man that speaks here cries and I was like, what's going on? And that now I like, I'm more moved to cry now, which is weird. Like I bawled when my daughters got baptized and my Keegan came up to me. She's 13, by the way, she's 13 years old. And I bawled when she got baptized and she's just staring at me when she, after she got baptized and I'm like holding her and I'm just bawling cause I'm so happy. And she goes, I'm like, what are you looking at? She's like, I've never seen you cry. And I was like, wow. And I'm just so, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful. I've told you this so much because I'm just realizing recently how grateful I am for this church and for all these men here, for all your testimonies. This is insane to me. I've, I've never been this happy before. I'm so happy. Like, and you I can ask her, like, I, um, I was just, um, I was praying for this long before I even came to this church for, for something like this. And I'm just so I'm so happy, man. And, and it went through, you, you had to go through that stuff just for, I mean, you're going to help, help multiple people now. I mean, you helped me. I remember, remember part of your testimony, um, when you spoke that day. So, and I'm going to tell you something, bro. Um, you said your goal was always to be a rock star. You're a rock star. You are man right now. Just not in the way that you thought you were going to be. Uh, you know, it doesn't have all the lights and the lasers and smoke and stuff. But, yeah, it does. But, you know. Yeah, it does. But here's here's the cool thing. Spiritual light. Spiritual lights. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. But really, I, would, I wouldn't change a thing. I would go back and do it all over again, probably the same way, because you know what? I've met a lot of really interesting people along the way, and a lot of really good men poured into me, and I wouldn't have those opportunities if I didn't 
if I didn't go through the the things I went through. Yeah. Um, but truthfully, God has placed in something in me that has been a, uh, a, a what I call a life work. And and what I mean by life work is is he's he's taken me from one extreme to the other, but yet he's let me let me do it at my own time, at my own pace, my own my own rate of of what I call uh, recovery, you know, and because when you, when you get tossed and torn by the ways of life, those rips don't heal as fast when you have memories that correlate to it. Yeah. And what I want, if I can leave anything with any of the listeners out here, you're not alone. And if you don't believe in God, or if you have questions about God, just ask. Yes. Don't try to do it alone. I don't know anybody here that wouldn't be like thoroughly excited to um to answer any questions. Like exactly. anybody. I don't know anybody. Exactly. But see that's that's the that's probably the, don't ask me though. That's the beauty of I'll be like, I don't know, ask Larry. <laughs> well one of the things get get involved, get into a Bible believing church. Period. Mm-hmm. Yes. A Bible believing church. Get into a group of men that have been broken and, and need and understand that helping others through the process is just as important as getting help through the process. Um, I actually, Bo and I are part of the men's leadership here right. at our church. Um, I also am part of a men's group from a different church. And these guys are where God has placed me not to just help them, but to be helped by them. Yeah. 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 But it all starts with Jesus. But one of the things that I really want to touch on too, and is you've got to learn to forgive yourself. That I I'm struggling with that because, um, I did, I made so many mistakes and I hurt so many people along the way that I'm, I have a hard time forgiving myself. I really do. Well, well I wanted to circle around to that. And um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, mm-hmm. when you came back to the Lord the second time. Yes, sir. Did you have to go back and and kind of remember some of the people that you hadn't for, forgiven? Yes. Because um, that is a chain that is ooh. on us that yes. we have the key to. And the Bible tells us, that you must forgive for the Father to forgive you. I read a deliverance book about like demonic deliverance um, or bad spiritual deliverance. That's one of the biggest things. The first things you have to do is you have to go through and pray to God for you to reveal you of people that's needing your forgiveness in their life, and then you have to go through and forgive them. That's one of the first things to be delivered. Yes, uh, forgiveness is such a huge part of of being able to move past things um first of all you 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 got to go to god for forgiveness but second of all you got to forgive yourself um one of the hardest things for me to do was to forgive my father my my uh, earthly father my earthly father was 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 um like i said he was an alcoholic he he was addicted to prescription meds and you didn't know what man you were going to get it on any, any given day but as I got older and I got on my own and got on the house, you know, got out of the house and, you know, just, you know, separated from him, 
it was a game for me to see how bad I could aggravate him or upset him. And it was a game. And then I hate to say that that way, but that's that's what I would love to do. I would just love to call him up and say, "Hey, you know, how, how's voting that straight party ticket working for you?" And, and just you know, just just rib him real hard, you know. And that was just kind of the relationship we had. But as I went through moving through what different stages of, of forgiveness, and I had to call my dad and say, "Hey, I know our relationship ain't not not been the greatest, but I forgive you." And he's like, "Boy, what are you talking about?" I said, I forgive you, Dad. And it was silence. I think he dropped the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, he just kind of said, well, well, thank you. Here's your mom. He He had to process uh, that, too. Yeah, He he had to boot me off to to my mom. because Uh, God guided me through one of those, too. As you know, Mm -hmm. because of our relationship, my dad and I didn't speak for 35 years. Right. I don't talk to my dad currently. And right after I came to the Lord... My, um, on that phone. Yeah. Okay. So, um, keep talking what you're talking about. I want you to do a synopsis. Okay. And then I'm going to say something. Then we're going to give him the floor to end. Okay. Okay. During that, that time, God told me, I mean, I just started kind of listening to God a little bit. I hadn't really come to him yet. And God told me that I had to ask for my dad's forgiveness and I'm like, wait, God, I remember you hold said on that. a minute. God, he's the one that left the family, not me. I'd be like, nope. And God said, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That's how it was. I, so I was trying to argue with God, right? And he said, no, you have to ask for his forgiveness. And I, I was learning obedience. Mm-hmm. And so I did call my dad, and I asked for my dad's for forgiveness, and he was like, there's nothing to forgive. And I kept still wanting him to say, well, will you forgive me? And you know, yeah. But that's not part of it. That's not that wouldn't have helped me grow. No, that would have put me back. It's cool what your dad did though, because I guarantee that pause at first. Whenever you said that, I guarantee at first there was a little bit of pride in him that wanted to say, "There's nothing that I. There's nothing that you need to forgive me for." But mm-hmm. the silence was, "Okay, there is." And but I don't know how to process this. Here's your mom. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna process this well, for a he, while. He was to be honest with you, you're probably right on some of that, but he was probably waiting for me to take some rib at him or you know yeah. jab at him. Did he ever circle back to that that statement? Uh, we we did briefly. You know, probably about about six months before he died. Um, we did. We kind of did. He come back to the Lord. Yeah, he did. Um, Good. Pray my Lord on that. My mom took him through the Bible and took him to church. Um, she read the Bible through him through from cover to cover with him for three times before he went on to be with the Lord. Yeah, and I, I so hardly believe that he's with with God. Um, just for a simple fact is, you know, he he didn't know Jesus Christ as his Savior. He did he didn't know that, and then, you know, he tried his best to to make amends with me and my brothers as fast as he you know as much as he could, um, but. Long story short, you know, he didn't have the perfect life, and he didn't give me and my brother the perfect life, but, you know, I wasn't traded for the world. Yeah. Okay, Larry, um, just to wrap this up, I want you to give us a synopsis of what you've learned today and then say something to Bo in the inning, and then I will, and then Bo's going to get the floor to the end. Larry, what you got? First, I just want to say thanks, Bo, for being in my life, and thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Because every time that you talk to me, you put in to me, 
and you help build me to be stronger for others when I get the opportunity to pour into them. So thank you for being the example. And I, I know that this is difficult, and I know that we're going to have to have you back to get the rest of the story. So I'm looking forward to it already. But I just love okay. you, brother. I love you too, brother. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely going to want you back on. I'm, I'm very moved. That's all I can say. I'm very moved by your story. I couldn't have come at a better time in my life. So thank you for that. Um, thank you for what it's done for me. But I want to direct attention for the purpose of why we do this show is for people that be listening. Um, and the question I have for you to end this show is, for someone that's listening that may not believe in God or that is dabbling in Satanism or that may be in that middle road of they don't know whether they want to come to Jesus or not and they're mad at him or they are where you are, what what would you say to them to be the final straw to get them to pull it out and to follow God and what benefits have you seen since you've devoted your life to God? Well, first of all, if you're on the verge of, of trying to follow Satanism or going down that road, it will cost you everything in the end. It will cost you everything. Your eternity will is very spelled out. It's eternal damnation. It's a separation from God, which means it's no light. There's darkness. It's eternal uh, damnation or eternal um, pain and suffering. So I would encourage you to put it away, whether you burn it or you throw it in the garbage or whatever, and literally – just ask Jesus to show up and be real to you. Just pray. Just yeah. pray. I mean, in, in, in praying to Jesus, it's not got to be some drawn out theatrical performance or anything like that. No, it's like, God, I need you to be real. Yeah. I need you to show up. And you can't put limitations on God. You can't put like your order in a menu off a of menu to God, I guess you could say, is you just have to say, God, show up and be real to me. And God is such a gentleman. And if you tell him to get away from you, he will. But ultimately, we are his. And we were his from the time he created us. But he will not, by no means, uh, encroach encroach or force upon you his will because he gave us free will. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other talk show. Yeah. Um. But I would say if you're on the verge of of walking into Satanism, I'd say turn around, you know, because it is very attractive, very alluring at first, but you're going to pay a price. You will ultimately, you will pay, ultimately the price. pay a price. And I, and I pay and I say pay a price. I paid a price in in broken relationships, friendships, and just people who were in and out of my life who meant something to me that mm-hmm. are no longer a part of my life because of of things I've done and things they've done, but. I would encourage you to seek the Lord with your heart, not with your mind, but with your heart. Let him have your heart and your mind will follow. Because if you have a, a heart for the Lord, then your mind will, be become, will become more apt to understand what the Lord's telling you. Um, ah, lead with your heart. I kind of get that. It's like, um, just dive all in with your heart and to what you're going to do. And then your mind will slowly follow. Cause your mind, your mind naturally wants to think about the things of the world, the stresses of the world. Like I've got to take care of this. I got to take care of that. Right. But if you dive in with what you know, your heart's telling you to do, 
then your mind will follow eventually. Exactly. You know, I, I use this demonstration right here. From here to here is a short distance, right? From your heart to your mind and from your mind to your heart. It's a short distance, but it's the longest journey you will ever go on. Yeah. Period. Because if these two don't connect, then your horizontal relationships do not work. Period. Yeah. So from your heart to your head and from your head to the God, that's all got to be in line for your horizontal relationships to work. Amen. And that, that forms the segment of the cross for a reason. Uh-huh. Because at the foot of the cross, you can bring your broken life and lay it down mm-hmm. and pick up a new life that Christ has paid for. And that's what's, that's what's so powerful about this is because, like, if you think you're not good enough, you I mean, Bo had in his possession a satanic Bible, and he was dabbling. It doesn't sound like you were ever, I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how I'm going to illustrate you on the title of this podcast, mm-hmm. and I was, before I met you, I was going to put former Satanist, but you were never a Satanist. Like, you, no, that's I not never, what you were. I never um, went into the, any no. chance or rituals. I would if you want to if you want to title this thing title it crossroads because there I was I was at the crossroads that dude I was gonna say that same thing earlier when you said when you said you were on the, with the homeless guy mm-hmm. um, and that you were sitting there thinking about um, that what that homeless guy said on the drums that night and that guy came in and gave you the option to walk out that door or stay and do what he told you to do. Right. That was your crossroads. Yes. That right there, that moment was your crossroads. And if you would have stayed, who knows what Bo would be doing right now? Right. I mean, there's no telling. No that doubt. was your crossroads, and you took the you took the right path. Yeah, I, you I took mean, the right road. I, I was in. I was so far into myself in that moment. Yeah, that I could not let this guy tell me that I was nothing but a whore and beer salesman. Yeah, I just could not. I had to prove him wrong, and you know what? God's proved him wrong. I didn't do it. God did. Yeah, it. and I'm going to tell you something. Uh, that producer had produced a really popular band. I mean, from the '70s, and uh, and I I looked up to him up to that point, and because you always have those people you look to that have gone before you and done greater and bigger things, and you had at that point. But I lost all respect for the person, and I when I walked out off that stage and I loaded my gear into that bashed up car and drove 35 miles north to my home that was the most weird drive i ever took in my life and that was your crossroads man that's insane isn't that scary though to think about like does it scare you to think about like what would have happened if you did stay if i would have stayed on the current path i was in i would either be a one and done one hit wonder with a group or i would still be on the road playing any hole in the wall in the bars that I could or anything like that. And I may have probably two or three broken marriages, probably three or four kids, you know, and not been a, not been a dad. I would have been, you know, that whore and that beer salesman. Yeah. That's what I would have been. You'd have been what that guy said you were going to exactly. be. Exactly. He was trying to identify me in, in, in my career at that point. And I'm such a bullheaded person and my wife will probably agree with you a hundred percent. I'm going to prove you wrong if I, if I can. And yeah, that's just that's just the drive in me. I'm going to prove yeah. you wrong if I can. Um, just that's that that's always been me since I was a little kid. Would you ever thought you'd be standing here where you're at today? No, I would not. I'd, are you are you grateful that you're here? Yes, I'm very I'm very very grateful and very honored because God 
honors faithfulness. He God, God honors obedience. But God will honor you way more than you could ever imagine because he's no respecter of person. He will give you your heart's desires as long as your heart is his. That is the key. If your heart is his, he'll give you your heart's desires. Yeah. You know, and I've had a lot of people speak into my life over the years, but one of the things that really resonates in my ears is this right here, is God will never, ever take you somewhere he never meant you to go, but you will. Yeah, yeah. You will take yourself anywhere and everywhere that you were never meant to go. Yeah. Because God is the good, good father. Yes. He's the ultimate shepherd. Yes. And for anybody who doesn't believe the way we believe, all I say is try God and experience him yourself. It's going to be hard. I'm going to tell you that. I'm I'm kind of new at the whole following guy. It's it's hard, but I'm it's it is worth it, man. It is so worth it like that that's where I came to the end of myself realizing that like, okay, with Zach doing it, with Zach doing it, I can get up there and be somewhat happy, moderately happy, right? But it's never going to be, it's not enough. Like what I can provide for myself is not enough. I know God can provide something way better emotionally, mentally, um, financially, or whatever you call it. I know the life God has for me mm-hmm. is one million times more fulfilling, whatever that may be, than what Zach could provide. Well, and that's what made God's me. not calling you to provide. God's yeah. calling you to follow. Yes. If you look what Jesus says in, in, in my, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he says, follow me. And, and I, I really believe in that wholeheartedly because there's no reason for me to be in Oklahoma, owning my own company, doing what I do each day and day out, other than it is the blessing and the, the ultimate way that God has prepared for me. God prepared all this. Yeah. All I had to do was follow. Yeah. And what we're instructed to do in the Bible is to leave a legacy. Yes. To our children's children. Yeah, I told you that today. Remember that. And and leaving a legacy is not wealth and riches and houses and fortune and fame. Leaving a legacy is giving them the blueprint and the roadmap to follow Jesus. That is the legacy that we have to leave. And that's what he meant by that. I am the follow-up of the legacy of my mom. Because my mother was the example that I came back to Christ because of. You can't can't accredit it to yourself because if you do, it's just going to ring hollow. But when you accredit everything that you have and you give it to Jesus, Jesus multiplies it. That's what I like about, because I struggled with pride before, because I became, um, whenever I was an investigator, I I was really good at interviews and interrogations, and um, God's the one that made me good at it. And then um, my peers started, um, my peers, people I looked up to started like telling me how good I was. And it was, it was too much, too much pressure for me not to be like, yeah, I'm great. I like, yeah, I'm, I'm great at interviewing. And then eventually I just thought I was the stuff. I thought I was the cat's pajamas, dude. Yeah. That's a reference that you probably understand. Yes. Actually, cat's I pajamas. Yeah. Okay. It's I probably was, from the eighties. pretty conceited as well. Is it written on your visor that, that saying? No, nope. I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, it was before so the visors. I really did. I thought, I thought that I was, I was everything. You were right? the stuff. 
Yeah. And um, what God's doing in my life now, he is making it impossible for me to take the credit. And if I did, if I did, it would be downright, outright, blatant pride. Yeah. Bottom line. He's everything he's doing in my life has nothing to do with me. I'm just, I, I'm in fact, I'm the kid in the corner that's kicking the wall saying, I don't want to go the way he's going. And, but I do anyway, right? I'm kicking and screaming all the way, but I'm doing it anyway. I'm, I'm a, being obedient, but I'm kicking and screaming all the way. Calling Larry saying, Larry, Larry, tell me that I don't have to do this, you know? And I'm, and I'm the one that's kicking and screaming. So if I ever, if I ever take credit for anything that I achieve or whatever achieve or whatever you, however you want to say that, then I deserve to just fall over dead right then. You know what I mean? Because it would just be a lie. Does that make sense? It's one of the things that is what you will notice about most of the true followers of Christ is that they don't take credit for that. They know that yeah. it all comes from the Lord and it's all ordained by the Lord. Right? Yeah. I mean, before you were born, this moment was created by God. It's crazy, man. Yeah, With man. every person that's in here right now, it was already preordained. Yeah. And then in, in that same vein, if you get to the point where you take credit from it, then you're literally taking God's place. You're, you're putting yourself in his position. Yes. And that's not, that's not a good place to be. No, no. And, and, but here, if we could really see into the spiritual world, if we could open our eyes and see spiritual things, we would be in shock. Just like, uh, terrified, just like Elijah's servant. When he, when Elijah prayed, he said, there's more with us than with them. I was going to, that's the, what I was going to tell you about how your um, grandparents prayed for you. So this kid on a Christian forum and Reddit. So Reddit, if you don't know what it is, do you know yeah, what Reddit? Okay. Yeah. So there's a Christian forum on Reddit. It's, um, and it's just for Christians where they can post whatever they want ask questions about Christianity and stuff like that. People may be struggling or whatever, or people that may debate certain topics in Christianity and stuff. Well, this kid posted on there. He goes, Hey, I'm 16 now. Um, I'm 16 now. And he goes, this is the first time I've ever said this out loud. I just want to know if this is something that is real or not. But whenever I was eight years old, um, he saw his aunt and his grandma and they were in the living room and they were praying for somebody, right? And he had went down to his basement while they were praying, but he noticed that they were praying for somebody, right? He said when he came back up out of his basement, he saw literally angels and demons fighting in his living room that nobody else could see. And he wanted to know if this was biblical, if this is possible, if what he saw was a lie or not, why would, you know, and I responded to that. And I said, hey, because isn't there a story about like Daniel or something about where he prayed and there was a spiritual war between angels and demons for 21 days? Yeah, 21 yes. days. Yes. Before, exactly. before, before Daniel he, got his answer. Yes. Yeah, before he got his answer. But there was literally a spiritual Michael, war between angels and demons. Right. Michael, the archangel was, was sent by God when... God heard Daniel's prayer. He was sent by God, but he was held up for 21 earth days. Before, because of the war. Because of the, the yeah. fighting amongst demons and, and the angels. Yeah. For him not being able to get, get to Daniel. That's but, crazy. But, you know. That's yes. going on every time you pray, bro. Yes. Like mm -hmm. every time you yes. pray. No, it's all the time. Yeah. If, if our eyes were yeah. open to that world. We probably couldn't emotionally handle it. We would die from the. Emo like the emotional stress it would give well, us. We are not created to have that knowledge. It's just insane, man. That's the, nuts. The the more you understand about God and the more the mysteries of God become uh, evident is the more that you're able to 
understand and fathom the size of God. Mm-hmm. What what a pastor said to me one time, he says, you don't realize that God can kick your butt. I said, well, that's not a nice thing to say. He says, no, you don't understand me, Bo. He says, you don't understand that God can kick your butt. I said, well, and I started thinking about that. And I'm like, you know, he's right. God is bigger than this world. He's bigger than this universe. Yeah. But yet, I think I treat him as I can put him in a box and walk away like it's a puppy or a kitten. Well, I can put him in a box and walk away. Yeah. But no. No. God can kick my butt. That's the scary part is because one of one of God's angels killed 168,000 men or something like that. Pastor Gary, is, uh, that's how I learned it. Pastor Gary in that spiritual warfare in that spiritual warfare group um, or class that we were in with Pastor Gary said that I don't an angel killed like a, number, yes. but it was 160 some yes. thousand or 100 some odd thousand people one angel killed. Well, angels are angels. Like, so if one angel, I mean, you can only imagine how, power, like, God could accidentally sneeze and one of his nose hairs that float, flies out could destroy all universes. You know right. what I mean? I mean, right. to put it weirdly, but like, that's strange. A visual I didn't need. <laughs> well, I'm over here wiping my nose now. Who wants to get taken out by God's nose hair? But yeah, you yeah. get it. But, but yeah, he's very powerful. Yeah, that that's that's the whole that's the whole mystery of it. But we as as Christians in America, we do not understand God's majesty. No, and and one of the things I've been studying lately is God's majesty. And and when you understand what a king speaks it becomes law immediately and i'm thinking to myself if i'm made in god's image and i can speak just like god did and i create with my mouth then what i say becomes law you know and and i and i, I look at that and i'm like well i'm not god but god can do that he can speak and it can become law it can become literally something we live by and yeah, I mean, just like the laws of gravity spoke that that's a law. That's a law. That's never changing. Never and changed. it was spoken into existence by God. We don't even know what that is. We just know it's a word right. <laughs> that right. keeps us on the ground, you know? Exactly. But you know, here, here's a cool thing about God too. You can use, you can use math to prove it. You know, you, you, you got the right triangle, right? Three foot, four foot equals five foot. No matter if this is 30 feet, 40 feet, 50 feet, those never change. Those mm-hmm. are, those are, that is a law of algebra because if that's a right triangle this is three foot that's four foot that's gonna be five foot no matter how many times you multiply those numbers as big as that triangle grows those never change other than their numerical stance and that's a whole nother talk show but we're not gonna get into that he's yet. making my eye twitch i'm like i'm right. stupid <laughs> but it's not but i'm but I'm, just, I'm just using that as a point i get what you're saying like um but it, you can take you can take god's word at face value and you can read that verse at face value and leave it there for two years and come back and read it again and it'll mean something different it's the living word of god that's why they call it the living word of god and i have learned that for my own that you could come read a word uh a one sentence in the book or in the bible you could read one sentence and you grab something powerful from it mm-hmm. and learn something powerful from it. And then two years later, like you said, you come back, you read that same sentence and it means something completely different then. Right. That's why they call it the living word of God because it is a life right life. now. Right. And you know, and 
this this whole thing that that we you know we're doing right here today, I'm hoping and I'm praying for this word to reach somebody that will change their life. Even if it's just one. That's why I said that if the whole purpose of this show is to change one person's life, I'm okay with that. Then all the suffering and tearing up, setting down and technical difficulties is worth it. Well, your voice and your face is going to be on the internet forever now. So even if it's, even if it's 10 years from now and somebody comes across this, um, well, more power to them. What'd you say? You want me to call it crossroads? Just call it crossroads. I mean, cause I was, that's where I was at. I was literally walking up and down different sections of that crossroad for a period of about 20 years and Man. literally just, you know, and I was brought in that moment when, you know, I was separating from my older kid's mother, that moment I was drawn right back to that crossroads. You know, I could, I could go right back into being all about me or I could go back and, and stay, stay walking with God. Yeah. And ultimately I chose to stay walking with God because I'm going to tell you now from that crossroads forward, I've got two more children. Uh-huh. I've got a, I got a, a lovely wife that adores me and I adore her. And we have a relationship that where we pray every night and we pray with our children. We have more now than we've ever had, but it was never, never going to happen if I didn't make that right decision in that crossroads. Man, your story is so, it, it's so powerful, dude. Like I've been like tearing up this whole time. Like it's just, it's, it's so powerful. And I can tell, like I can identify with a lot of your story. That's why, that's why it makes it so powerful to me. Cause I can identify with it. In fact, I think a lot of people can. It's, um, it's something that, that, that is hard to, to look back on. And there, there's a couple of times I got choked up and I apologize about that, but you know, it's just, that's just how real it is to me. I and want it to be real. I want people to see that realness. I told you that. Yeah. And I want to be real too. And even though I told you, I don't cry a lot. Um, but I want it, if, if I do cry, I want it to be real. And, right. and when, if somebody sits here and cries this whole show, if that's real, then okay. Right. Then who cares? Like it, it's, it's a part of your experience, man. Yeah. And then looking back in that in retrospect, and, and if it helps, you know, like I said, one person is great, but you know, I have a, I have a desire to, to, to minister to men who are, who are going through divorce or, or been, been through okay. or, or post a side of divorce. And I have a heart for those guys. Because, yes. You know, everything in the world you feel like is stacked against you. Yes. You know, your time with your kids is cut. I mean, literally cut to shreds. Yes. Uh, everything you do as a father, as a parent is, is scrutinized under yes. a microscope. And it, it's really hard to, to learn how to live in that new skin. It is. Um, but I, I give, I give those guys who are going through that a, a word of advice, live well. And when, what I mean by live well is number one, feed your faith, demolish your fear, and walk out every day with God, and everything will be given back to you. Everything will be put back in place at God's timing, not yours, yes. but God's. And I'm I'm living proof of that. Yes, you know, I mean, I had, you know, part of my story back then. I had everything ripped out from 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 me, um, but I had to go through that. Had to, because I was still stuck in that pride that you have mentioned earlier before. I was stuck in that pride because when you're stuck in pride. You want to insert me into that, or I did this, or I, I'm this, I'm that. Well, I have adopted this philosophy in my own walk with God. Is is it's not me that lives, but Christ who lives through me. Yes. And when when you die to that flesh every day of wanting to be important, wanting to be recognized, when you die to that, that takes all the responsibility off of you and puts it on God. Yeah. 
Because if God's living through you, then it's up to him for the results. I'm still learning how to do that. And he helps me out a lot with it. Like kind of tell him, he kind of checks me whenever I like, because I ne- I will never intend to be prideful now. That's for sure. That's one thing that's changed. But sometimes it's still, it still happens. You know what I mean? So one of the things about Larry is, you know, you notice his stature. He's, he's a big guy, right? You yes. Can point him out in the crowd and everything like that. But one of the things I really love about Larry is not only is he a big guy, but he is a big guy in his faith. Big, he, yeah. He walks huge. out his faith. Huge. Uh, and he, he doesn't meet a stranger. He, nope. doesn't, he does not meet a stranger. And, uh, he's done this to me several times <laughs> when we've been at church and he'll see somebody new. He's like, hey, Bo, come here. I was like, okay. Big guy wants me to come over here. He'll say, well, this is so-and-so. I want you to take him back to the kids, show him this, show him that. <laughs> okay. All right. But so, you know, he's the big guy, right? You don't got to do what he says. Yeah. You got to do what just he in says. Just in case. But the cool thing about that. His weak spots is back, by the way, just in well, case I'm, for the future. I, I won't, I won't hurt him. You know? oh, I won't, you know, because all right. he done that to, to a couple that just started. <laughs> that was this first day of their, their first day of, at the, at their church. And the funny thing is he, he, he pointed out to me and Julie to come over and to meet these people. And we ended up being really good friends with these people to this day. They don't go to discovery anymore because they, they moved back to their home state of Arkansas. But you know, Katie and Damon stone. Yeah. You've uh, been with them like once a month. Since yeah, they we, moved, we, it seems we go, we go visit them in Arkansas and it's very just like, nice, man. It's really, it's really cool. Yeah. But that's how the community of God needs to be. Yes. Yes. Um, I can learn a lot from him. I can tell. And what's crazy about this is whenever, so I don't know if I've told you the testimony about this show, but I want to tell you about it. So, um, I, it wasn't before I came to church here, right? That I woke up and I thought of this name. So a couple times God's woke me up in the middle of the night and give me direction on things. One was last night in which I'm very uncomfortable about. We'll talk about that later, but, um, God woke me up in the middle of the, the night and I can, it was a long time ago. It was months and months ago. Right. And just told me the name, the Help My Unbelief podcast. So I went down and I wrote it down in a notebook like this. And I never looked at the notebook again because I just remembered the name because I so unique, you know, that come from the Bible verse that, that helped my own belief, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so after months went by and the idea of the structure of the show started to materialize in my head, like, okay, I'm going to interview atheists, um, agnostic stuff like that. We're going to try to convert people less apologetics, more, um, conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, I need a co-host. Boom. He pops in my head immediately. I had never, I'd never had a conversation with him. Like more than like, Hey, how are you doing? Good to see you here church blah 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 stuff like that so it was god given that that he was coming and now i can see more of why god would want him to do this show than me well honestly (laughs) you know you know the yeah he he doesn't meet a stranger that's one that's one thing about larry he doesn't yeah he doesn't meet a stranger but the opposite the on the opposite side of the spectrum he needs uh encouragement as well We Uh we all do but yeah, I could see him doing something like this on his own, or if you you know, or you know, behind the scenes, or or whatever. I don't have the capabilities to do. Well, this. we're working on getting some solo stuff going but see, for him. Yeah, but see, here's the thing about Larry. Larry's going to be obedient what the Spirit says. Yes, and that is going to allow him to expand his horizons and expand it into new territories and stuff like that. But the flip side of all that is, 
it started with being obedient. Yes. Yes. And, yep. Uh, I, Thank you for that. I need to hear that today. Well, I, when I was, I was when I was in Georgia, I had a men's ministry that I was uh, that I headed up. Is it dead? Well, okay. Keep keep I, going. Finish the story. Go ahead. Well, it, it the men's ministry. I had a shirt made for it, and it was uh, Proverbs. I think it's twenty nine. Is it twenty nine seventeen? Iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. Or is it seventeen twenty? I can't. I can't. I get those confused sometimes, but it, it's it's talking about iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. And on the back, it says, catch the man and catch the whole family. Ooh, yeah. Yep. Amen. So that has been my heart, you know, because even guys who go through divorce, if they will come back to church and if they'll, if they'll plug into a ministry and bring their children, then at least half the time those children are getting exposed to, to, to the word of God and getting exposed to, to some form of Christianity than what the world's teaching them. Um, that's been my heart for a long time. And I, I stopped that in Georgia. When I, when I left Georgia, I stopped, you know, doing that. Um, I had a pastor of a church that was, I was under him, his, his pastoral ship. And he kept wanting to take credit for the men's ministry. I said, look, I said, I don't care if you take credit for it. I said, but honestly, um, that's not what God's wanting out of this. I said, God's wanting to reach these men who have issues, who have a broken heart. It doesn't matter to me about numbers. and But he was so impassioned and, and emboldened by numbers that he wanted to post numbers. And, yep. and that really rubbed me the wrong way. Yes. Um, because our men's group was running anywhere from, now you got to understand, we got together on a Wednesday night. And we would go, and every, uh, every month we'd have a, a Saturday night get-together. And... The Saturday night get-togethers would be anywhere from 80 to 100 men. Ooh. And the Wednesday nights were running anywhere from 60 to 100. Dang, dude. So, you know, and then he wanted to post those numbers. I'm like, dude, don't. Don't. I, I kept. It's almost boastful, huh? Well, that. and David I think it, counted the numbers. Well, yeah, and, and so did Saul. In a good way or a bad way? In a bad way. Yeah. Okay. Cost him quite a bit. But the reason I, that story is so important is because, um, I, I felt, I really felt in my spirit that God said, no, not now. And was it through my disobedience or through my willing to please that pastor that I continued? And I really, that's one of those times you look back and you're like, I really wish I would obey to God. So I'm, yes. I, I commend you on obeying God. I really should have shut it down when that pastor wanted to post those numbers and stuff like that, because there was a lot of guys who, you know, you being a man and Larry being a man, know y'all both know this. If you get a guy talking about raw emotional stuff, then you've moved a mountain. Yes. Yeah. And I had guys that were talking about, you know, their feelings for other women, their feelings against their wives and stuff like that. And once the pastor started boasting about all these numbers, it just gone. I mean, they scattered like the wind. Well, because nobody wants to be, nobody wants to be sold about anything. Nobody wants to be a number. Nobody wants to be singled out either. Nobody wants. Yeah. And exactly. that's what I'm saying. Like to get men talking about that kind of stuff, that real stuff that you feel the devil wants you to be quiet about it because then, then like, if I talk to Larry about everything I'm going through, he's going to come up with something to tell me. Holy spirit is, or if I right. tell you something, come, you're, you're going to come up with something to, um, a either help me defeat and change my life. Or you're going to help me to at least be encouraged to continue on the right path right. that I'm going. Right. That's this, the last thing the morning, devil wants. This morning he called me. 
Mm-hmm. We won't go into the exact issues, but he called me and he goes, I, he started the conversation with me is I already know what you're going to tell me. But I wanted him to tell me something else. <laughs> and yet. But he didn't tell me what still, I wanted him to tell me. He called to hear confirmation. That's yeah, that's it. That's all I wanted to make sure to make sure I wasn't making the wrong move. That, you know, that is seeking wise counsel. Yeah. So, you know, in... Uh, I never called myself wise well, counsel, guys. <laughs> well... You're wise, man. To give yourself a little credit. I'm just old. Well, just give yourself that a little too. credit, but also you're walking in step with God. You know, when you walk in step yeah. with God, wisdom just wisdom just shows up. Yeah. And it's it also says in the Bible, if you ask for more, you'll gain more too, right? You'll, God pours out as much wisdom as you want. And I think right. I'm I think I'm good for now. Like, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Because wisdom can be painful, right? Because didn't that guy that wrote the book of Proverbs was like the most wise man on the Solomon, earth? Yeah. Solomon. Yeah. And, so, and didn't he say that it was pretty painful having that much wisdom? Well, he also, he, he went on to write Ecclesiastes too. And he said, it's all vain. It's all vain. It's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. The wisdom he has is pointless. Yeah. Well, he said everything in the world was, was meaningless. Yeah, and everything. But see, but in, in, that, in that same context of what Solomon's talking about right there is the fact that when you take it as worldly wisdom and you take upon that the, the process and the, the lens of, the, lens of uh, the world, then you are stepping into the role of God. Yeah. And you're 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 discerning, you're deciding, and that's not that's not cool. Amen. Okay. So, so yeah, we gotta go. Batteries are fixing to dead be dead. Knock me down both. Thanks for coming on. Like I said, you're a rock star. I believe that wholeheartedly. Oh, Love you, you, Larry. Love you, Bo. Thank y'all thank for you. being here. Thank Thanks you. for coming. We are I'll take you Thank you so much for listening to the Help My Unbelief podcast. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And more importantly, tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. for new episodes.